The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. Any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk and should not be considered legal, business, or medical advice. Hello and welcome to the Healthcare Maze Podcast. My name is Michael Blafferty, and I'm the CEO and founder of MJM Advisory and Educational Services. Today we will discuss how buyers of healthcare services and products need to be good sellers. We are pleased to have Scott Messer as a guest on the podcast. Scott will be sharing his years of selling experience and how buyers can benefit from his knowledge. Scott has over 25 years of experience advising clients on how best to sell, and they have won over a billion dollars of sales by learning how to unlock and block their heads to focus on what is important to the buyer, not the seller, through his guest-free selling methodology. One of the things which we're going to talk about today with Scott, which is really unusual in my over 30 years experience in the industry, is almost 99% of the time when you get into a discussion about selling, it's from the point of view of the seller. But there's really very little regarding how a buyer prepares themselves to purchase from a seller, whether that be services or products. Scott, would you like to expand a little bit on your background and experience before we start talking about our topic today? Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. And it's really wonderful to talk to buyers, to help them become better at purchasing their goods and services, because it doesn't have to be so hard. What I've found over my 25 plus years of working with salespeople is that a lot of the work was helping them train their buyers to become better buyers, which made the process so much smoother and easier for both sides. Buying and selling are really not that different. And one of the things that I found, and I agree with what Scott just said, if I went into a situation where I was going to meet with a buyer who was very well prepared with understanding what their needs were and why they were bringing people in, to purchase from, it not only made the process go a lot smoother, it was a lot much more effective for the buyer because the buyers typically then ended up at the end of the process happy because their needs were being better met. And that included the cost factor too, because the more knowledgeable the buyer was, the better I could meet that person's needs effectively. The first thing I would say is practice what I call the three C's, cooperation, collaboration, and communication. Because when you approach buying from an adversarial perspective, you're making it really hard on both of you. Like when I sold software, I would get a call from somebody who would say, can you come in and do a demo? And I'd say, can you give me an hour or two to do a little investigation as to what you're really trying to do and why this is important to you. So I'd just come in and present and I'd say, okay, reserve your conference room for three days. I'll buy breakfast if you'll buy lunch. 
what are you talking about? Three days? We just want an hour demo. I go, look, this is feature-rich software. And not knowing what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, i got to show you everything because I can't afford to miss anything. So I'll buy breakfast if you'll buy lunch. Or if you would like, you can give me that hour or two. And then when I come in to present and do the demo, you'll see everything that you need to make a choice. Does this work or does this not work in your environment? That's the difference between cooperation and being an adversary. I think that's a good point. I've had experiences where I've also tried to understand, even just on the phone call prior to coming in, to do a presentation. What are your challenges right now? What are some of the things you're really concerned about? So I could customize what I'm presenting to what you need. And I've had people in the past, not a lot, fortunately, but I've had probably 10, 15% of leads. Do you want to come in and present or not? And I said, okay, fine, I'll come in and present. What am I going to say to them? No, it's an opportunity. But as Scott's saying, if you do get an opportunity to go in and have a discussion with someone and they take the time to have a prep, either meeting in person or now, of course, could be on Zoom or whatever, where you can get to know each other first and understand needs. The presentation becomes so much more effective for both sides. As Scott's saying, I've had situations where I had a little chance to prep came in, made a presentation based on the needs I was told they had. I think the advice you're giving here to potential buyers is really important for them to end up with the process they're happy with. Mike, to your exact point about bringing multiple people in when you already have someone in mind that you'd like. I used to coach the sales reps, and now I'm going to coach you buyers. You will ask the same salesperson, same company, to come in time and time again. And after three times, four times, five times, they're unsuccessful. And the worst part of it is for the seller is that every time they bring you that low price that you're asking for, the next time they come in, they're competing against that price that you squeeze out of your current provider. Great for you, not so great for the seller. If you would recognize that you are getting something for free, and the salesperson is expending time, resources, money to your benefit, I challenge you to look for a way on how to repay that seller by periodically placing some business with them. I think one of the challenges in the healthcare field always has been an issue, but certainly in the last couple of years since the pandemic. In 2020, Two, the data is showing that a lot of these organizations are they're having a really tough time financially right now. So to some extent, there may be little or no additional purchasing going on as things which looks like things continue to get better as we move forward now financially and people start bringing in vendors again. It's going to be even more important given the financial situation they're in. Mike, there's two other ways that a salesperson can get repaid, actually more than two. Number one, buy another product or service that they offer, because most people do offer multiple services. But you can also make a referral to someone else. If you're a buyer, recommend that salesperson to somebody else. If you think they're good and their products or services are good, but just aren't appropriate for you, you can even 
write them a LinkedIn recommendation. You can get paid any number of different ways. It's not always just money. The stronger the desire it creates in them to help you. I've told any number of people when they told me no, after going through a guest free selling process, that by being a stand-up buyer, doing everything they committed to along the way, when they committed to do it, it created an even stronger desire for me to do business with them. And if things ever didn't work out with the person they selected, I absolutely wanted a call. I agree with you. And I've actually had situations similar where I've come into a situation, had a discussion with the buyer, made a presentation. It became obvious to me at the presentation these folks needed something that I could not give them. That's not what I did. And so at the meeting, I started giving them referrals to other organizations that I knew specialized in the areas that they needed. And as you're saying, they ended up paying that back to me in the future, sometimes by having me come in and purchase services I did offer, but a lot of times by referring me to other organizations and telling them, this person really helped us out. Mike, what I teach the sellers is your number one obligation, the reason you're going in is to figure out whether or not you can help them with what they are trying to accomplish directly with your own products or services, or as you just referenced, Mike, indirectly by recognizing you're not the one and you bring them other resources. It's really about collecting decisions. It's not about making sales. Let me suggest this for for a few minutes here. Let's talk about a typical situation where we need help with our revenue cycle. And let's assume for a minute we're both buyers. Before you bring anybody in, what would be some of the things you as a buyer would want to start to do to prepare yourself for vendors coming in who are going to tell you that they can help you? The first thing that you need to know is what is the actual outcome you seek? That's a big, obvious thing. But if you don't know, how can you help them help you? What does it mean to you personally to be able to accomplish that thing? Is it really important to you? Who is it important to? Who else do you need to bring in that is affected by the revenue cycle? Bring them into the conversation so that the seller has a good grasp of not only what is important to you, but to the other people who are affected in the process. You need to know, is this something you're committed to? Or is this something you went to a seminar and you heard something and you thought you'd like to learn a little bit more? Those are a couple of things that jump to mind. I think they're all very good. And what's interesting to me going through this a couple of times myself from the selling point of view is you almost, in a lot of cases, I almost ended up helping the buyers come up with this process at the first meeting. So for example, and I'll give you a typical response, and I know people listening to this podcast, when you had your first comment, what's the outcome? I'm sure a lot of people said, more cash. We need more cash. (laughs) But what I would find when I would go in for discussion with people is I would say to them, if you look back, say, for instance, even the most, say, three years, what were you collecting as a percent of your outstanding claims? And what is your goal to improve the percentage this year? If you did that, how much more cash is coming in? And what I found 
usually, there's some exceptions to this, but for the most part, the actual specific data that you need to really set your goals was not available at the meeting. We became collaborators at the meeting. We were trying to help each other out. And so I would share with people, this is how many months it normally takes to do this. This is what our experience is. This is what percentage we think we could get back. Those types of things. Mike, the question I teach salespeople to ask when they walk into one of these meetings is, to say to the person or people in the room, 100 people ask for every hour of your time. Today, you've elected to spend this hour with me so that we can make this the most important, impactful hour. If I walked out of the door, we turned off the Zoom or hung up the phone, whatever it was, and you sat back in your chair and said, wow, Scott nailed it. I learned a lot. This was incredibly helpful. I'm so glad I took the time to talk to him. What did we talk about? What did you learn? How did I help you? And so I'm going to turn this around to the buyers on this call and ask you to think about that question before you meet with the sellers so that you can really tell them what you need to know. Like when I would work with salespeople who were new to a territory, they were experienced salespeople, I would ask them to go in the first meeting with their buyers and say this, I've got good news and bad news for you. Puzzled look, right? The good news is I am not new to sales. I've been selling this product for a long time or I've experienced in sales for many years. I'm not a rookie. The bad news is I'm new to you. Rather than ask all the same questions that every first time salesperson asks you when they walk in the door, which drives you crazy because it is not a good use of your time. Why don't you spend the next five or 10 minutes telling me what I need to know to do business here? So buyers out there, help your sellers. It's so much better for you. That's a really good point. And again, it gets back to this collaboration approach. The more people try to work with the sellers that come in, the better. If, for example, there was somebody there from patient accounting who was involved in ensuring that the claims were billed out properly, if there were people there from the collection side of the house, not just from the payer point of view, but now very importantly, from the patient point of view, there's more and more collections now that are based on patients because of high deductibles and other type of out-of-pocket co-pays and things like that. If they're Sitting at the table, that's even more important. Look, you've got multiple buyers in the process. You've got your executive buyer, the CFO, as you just described, the person who can and will make the final decision. Then you've got your end user buyers. These are the people you're talking about. They are critical to making it work or not work, whatever whatever the product or service might be. And then, of course, there's the specification buyers that have the requirements for whatever firm or product or service, and everybody's got a voice. And when a buyer says, no, just talk to me, unless it's a very simple sale in a small organization, and I don't think our audience primarily is comprised of those kinds of organizations, you are not helping yourself when you don't give access of the people who are involved to the other side. I shouldn't even say the other side, to the same side, because if you're working collaboratively, you are on the same side. It's a big deal. 
it's really important. And what I found is the, if the liaison or advocate who is assigned to meeting initially, the sellers, if that individual is actually willing and says to you, I'll get you in front of the people in billing, I'll get you in front of the people collections, whoever you think you need to talk to, and I will come with you to these sessions, which is great. That's yeah. even better. A lot of times that doesn't happen. You end up going by yourself. I made this mistake and something I shouldn't have done. But you just made the point that there's multiple buyers. And I met with a executive level CFO, a very large organization. And the CFO was really enthusiastic. I think you can really help us with this project. We were trying to help them understand why they had made this major investment with a CT scanner and it wasn't producing the revenue they thought it should produce. Uh, no one was, according to the CFO, no one could figure it out. I said, I need to work with the people who are involved in this. And the mistake I made, fortunately, early in my career was I, didn't I still really... make them, Mike, and I'm pretty <laughs> far along. <laughs> I do too. But <laughs> instead of approaching it as a collaborator with the end user, I came in, and this is the very bad stereotype a lot of consultants have, and basically said, hey, the CFO sent me here, and this is what we're going to do. I'm from now, the IRS, and I'm here to help you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, that didn't go over well with the end user group that was involved with this. We ended up helping the end users involved, which they were appreciative. And uh, to the credit of the end users, they sat with me at the end of the project and said, if you had approached us a little differently, we would have made your life a little bit easier as you were working here. And fortunately, the light bulb in my head went on and I realized what a dope I was. And I apologized. When you talk to the C-level or the senior folks, you get the symptom. When you talk to the end users, you get to the root cause. And to the buyers out there, what you know is what you know. You don't necessarily know what the other folks are dealing with. And so often, the end users in particular, they get you the reports that you want or whatever it is you're asking from them, but you don't know how hard it is for them to get it for you because they're operating with outmoded software or the reporting structure isn't right, or whatever it happens to be. They get it done because they've figured it out, but you're not helping them when you go, oh, it's no problem. One of the things I learned, and this was very consistent, I go as high as 70% of the time that we worked on a project and helped working together with people, help solving some problems. About 70% of the time, part of the solution came from the end users. The end users told us they had suggested multiple times this solution and were either ignored by senior management or turned down, working with them for a period of time. We would sit down with the end users first and say, this is what we think will make things better. If there's anything in here that you think doesn't make sense, please tell us. And if we agree with you, we'll take it out. Or if you need us to change something, or if we miss something. So when we did eventually get to department head, supervised department head, or some senior level executive with a final report, 
if at that point that person said to the end users that were now at the presentation, what do you think about these recommendations? Everyone in the room had already approved it. Sure. And I didn't do that only to make our organization who was selling the services look good. I did it on purpose to make sure that after we left, things would get funded and would change. Because the senior people, when they heard everyone say, yeah, this, these things make sense. And we would help the end users by saying, you got to give these people some money. They need some more, more people. They need to upgrade. They're on version two of the software. And I don't know if you know this, but the software company is up to version 13. I'm just making up, being exaggerating a little bit, obviously. But the point is, when you would bring these things up, a lot of times the senior people's reaction would be, oh my goodness, I had no idea that this was happening. Even though the end users had said, we've told these people over and over at the budget, and they just say, okay, we'll think about it, we'll get back to you, and then they just run off to some other priority. Until it affected them, they weren't interested. Circling back to the people working on version two had figured out how to get it through to version 12, (laughs) but it finally broke completely at version 13. And you mentioned something very important there, Mike, about the proposal. A proposal is a guess. Here's what I think you want. Here's how much I think you'll spend to get it. Here's when I think you want it. Guess, 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 which elongates the process between the buyer and the seller because there's revision after revision, going back and forth, going back and forth. What I teach people is to write an agreement. That is to say, it's a mutual document that came out of a mutual process. This is back to that cooperation, collaboration, and communication thing I mentioned at the very beginning, because there's a lot of time investment, a lot of money investment, and getting to this stage from both sides. And you want to get it right. When you ask for that document, When you ask for that paperwork, I urge you to schedule time to review it with the seller to make sure that everything in it is correct. At the end of the day, you don't necessarily have to say yes to it, but there isn't anything in it that you should say no to. And if there is a modification, it's going to be very small. That's a good point. I remember you bringing this up to me when I was first starting to sell. And what I ended up doing based on your advice is that if I went in, and again, I'll use the revenue cycle review as an example, I would give people the standard approach and say, this is how we typically do this work. We do this first, we do the second, we do this third here is our ask list. Here's how we approach things. Please review this and make whatever changes you think you want to make. And then the prospect updates it. Then I would take a look at it with them and we would come to an agreement on exactly what we're going to do. And more importantly, when we're finished, what information are they going to get? Once we were at that point, then I was in a better position to obviously give them some sort of pricing. I would give them, though, with the standard approach, a price range and say it's typically in this range. So they had a sense of what it was. But I would finalize a price after, as you suggest, we came to an agreement. The buyer's reaction to this was, you're making this so easy for us. 
we know exactly what we're getting. And then we would also give them weekly updates as the project progressed. I know we're running towards the end of time, but this is an important point, and then I'll defer to you. But what that created was trust between the buyer and the seller. The buyer knew that what they were trying to do, you as the seller understood. That made you the safest person to do business with. You weren't there to sell services. You were there to make sure that you could do what they wanted done because you understood it. And that made you the safest, least risk person to do business with, irregardless of price. And my final comment is that if we do this again, and I hope we do, it was fun. I do want to talk about price. I think that, yes, I think we should have a, another discussion about price. And one thing I will say as we're finishing up here, and I'm glad you brought it up, whenever we closed on a project, we got the work. I would always ask the buyer who's now a client of mine, I would say to the client, how did we do with pricing? And at least 80% of the time, they said to me, you were not the lowest price. You were somewhere in the middle, but yep. we believe that you understand what we want. We believe you're going to get this done too. We believe you can do this. Let me just do a summary of some key points that we discussed. The importance of communication between the buyer and the seller, the importance of looking at this as a collaboration, as working together, looking at ways to help each other. I think people don't appreciate the fact that there are people at an executive level, they're end users, they're buyers who are involved with specifications. If as a buyer, you approach sellers as this person or this organization is trying to help me with some issue I have, and I need to do what I can to help them understand what my needs are and how best to meet those needs. I think if you look at it from a very simple approach that way, I think buyers, as we've said in the beginning, can really become good sellers because of this. Scott, I want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast, sharing your experiences and your stories. I look forward to continuing this discussion, I think, for our listeners, most of whom are buyers of healthcare products and services. I hope that they, and I'm sure they will, find this discussion very helpful. Thank you, Mike. It was fun. Looking forward to the next one.